0: What's up, church? How you doing this morning? Morning. Hey, we are so glad to be here with you. If you are online, thank you so much for joining us. We are with you. We are connected through this beautiful thing of technology, and we are just glad you're in worship. With us, And again, if this is your first time here, we do want to say a special hello. We would love to meet you after this and hear a little bit about your story. And we're just so glad you're here because we are on week three of this series called Be Cool, where we are trying to figure out how we can lead ourselves better. And what we have figured out or still figuring out is that, man, it is so easy for us to tell other people what to do. Man, we can tell people how to manage their mouth <laughs> manage their time, manage their life. But man, when that lens gets turned back on us, no matter how much good advice we have given to other people, isn't it hard for me and you to figure out how to take our own advice, even in a fight? And guys, fighting is what we are going to talk about today. And it is one of my favorite Topics to ever think about and talk about Uh, because so many times I hear people saying man We just got to stop the fighting we got to stop the arguments over political things religious things all the things like We just got to stop and I would really like to challenge that today. I don't think we need to stop fighting I think we got to figure out how to fight better I think that there is an art to fighting and if you and I want to be cool and lead ourselves well and come to resolution instead of just fighting to be right all the time. we got to figure out how to do it better. And I think the best picture of how to fight well and fight for a cause is the picture of Jesus, right? And listen, some of you may be raising your eyebrows, but just think about it. Jesus did not back away from a fight. He just didn't back away from a fight at all, especially on behalf of us. Jesus knew how to stand on the front line and be in the trenches with us and on behalf of us so that we could experience being known and being seen and understanding that we belong. Jesus understands adversity. Like he could have come to earth as a warrior. He came to earth as an infant. He struggled. He experienced all the things that we experienced. Jesus led from the resources of a servant, when he could have led from the status of a king. There's no better picture of what fighting looks like and fighting well looks like than Jesus, right? But so many times when you and I have a conflict with somebody or we are in a fight with somebody, it's really hard for us to be cool, right? It's difficult for us to stay focused, to maintain a relationship with somebody. And our motives on why we fight and what we fight for or a little bit off, right? And listen, like our motives becoming off doesn't happen overnight. It is a gradual thing. And here's here's my example on that. I love a good fight. I love conflict. I love a good argument. I even like it when people tell me they don't like me. I'm like, come on, talk to me about it. What you got? I love it. But I also understand that I have a little bit of an unhealthy attachment to fights. Because here's the thing, I was sexually abused at the age of six and at the age of 20. And if there's one thing that I knew I had to learn how to do as a child, I had to figure out how to fight for my safety and fight for my sanity. It's all I knew. If I wanted safety, I was going to have to fight to create it for myself. And that started to manifest in really unhealthy ways through all of my life. I even would go looking for a fight. Because in the fight, I would feel alive. I'm not even ashamed that I've never even won at a physical altercation. I know that's surprising to you. I don't care, I was unashamed, because fighting made me feel alive. I remember, if any of you can think back, or maybe you're not there yet, but when you turn 21, there's a lot of magical things that happen, right? My favorite memory of being 21 is that I was able to jump from a moving car. My apartment and my car had gotten hijacked by a person, who I later put in jail, but I had one opportunity that he had brought me along with my own car that I realized if I just jump out of my car and gain control of my apartment, I can take steps to gaining control of my space and my life again. And I did, and I wasn't afraid, I felt alive. I craved moments like those. I remember when I had the chance to finally leave that lifestyle, I was legitimately sad that I would never be in a car chase ever again. I was legitimately sad that I was probably never going to be held at gunpoint again. And I had this tiny curiosity that maybe, just maybe, I had a little bit of an unhealthy attachment to fighting. Fast forward, because you and I don't spend time to process what we need to process, to go where God calls us. Fast forward, I'm married. And I'm having this disagreement with my mother and I look over and my husband has this terrified look on his face and later I check in with him. And I'm like, hey, are you okay? I just need to check the pulse on how you're doing. And he said, I have never seen any two people speak to each other the way you speak to each other and know that you love each other. It was traumatizing to him, damaging to him. And very quickly, finally I realized that the resources and tools and motives of which I used when I was fighting may have been important for my survival up until that point. But they were absolutely ineffective to use in the fight that God was calling me into now. And I learned that what I had wasn't enough. To be able to fight for my marriage, fight for my sanity, fight for where God's calling me, I knew. I needed something new. And thank God. And God. God is a God who makes all things new in all scenarios and all situations. But I'll be real honest with you. Jesus was not my go-to. I know we've already put the picture up here. But Jesus was not my go-to when I was trying to figure out how am I going to figure out how to fight well, lead myself in conflict, and just be better at this thing fighting. Because the only picture I had of Jesus I'm sure it's like a lot of us, right? We know Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. And so when I started trying to make a shift on how to fight better, the only picture I had of Jesus was Jesus with a lamb, right? We'll put it up there again. I believe in us. There it is. And I just remember thinking, this is the picture I have of Jesus. I have trauma. He's got a lamb. (laughs) What's he gonna do with a lamb? One of my top five questions I'm going to ask when I get on the other side of eternity. Why? Just tell me why and what. But I realized after hundreds of micro moments with God through people who love Jesus, I finally started to discover a Jesus who fights. A Jesus who has already fought. A Jesus who fights to make sure that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we belong here. I was introduced to a Jesus that would fight to make sure we know that we matter to a Jesus that would fight for us even when we're wrong. Jesus fought without zero guarantee that any of us would ever be curious about him, love him, or follow him, and yet we were worth the fight. And everything can change on how we lead ourselves if we fight like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna ask some questions of ourselves that's gonna help us fight like a boss, fight like Jesus. But here's a couple of things that we're not going to talk about today. So many times people have asked me in the last few years, hey, I wanna sit and I wanna have a conversation over conflict resolution. And we have a quick definition of conflict resolution. This is something that Jesus is a master at. Uh, he's a great conflict starter. Um, but here's the definition. Conflict resolution is a way for two or more parties to find a peaceful solution to a disagreement among them. So today we are not talking about the conflict that we carry within, which is very real. The conflict that you and I could carry within can be depression, addiction, some sort of mental health issue. We're not talking about internal conflict. Here's another thing. People have asked me to sit and talk about conflict resolution with them and very quickly we realize that they are not talking about conflict, which is over here. They're actually talking about abuse. Okay, one of the most damaging things that you and I can do is put the disguise of conflict over this idea of abuse. So for today, we're only talking about conflict that occurs between one or two people when abuse is not present. And listen, if you have experienced abuse and you have not processed it yet, we are here for you. We would love to connect with you. We have deacons, we have pastors on site Go to the connection point, we would love to connect with you, but for today, for your own mental health, when we talk about conflict, it has nothing to do with abuse. Cool? Cool. And when we think about trying to lead like Jesus, you know, we, we make these really big, lofty goals sometimes, right? Like I'm going to lose a thousand pounds. I'm going to be able to lift a thousand pounds right? And a deadlift, right? We have these really big lofty goals, but we can't figure out how to break it down to make it attainable. So with our questions today, we're going to do just that with Jesus setting the bar of how we fight conflict. And we're going to do that by looking at a leader in Judges who did not lead himself well in personal or social conflicts. We're going to be in Judges chapter 9 today, but before we go there, I want to open us in prayer so that God can give us something new. Good morning, God. We just thank you so much again for this gift of time that was not promised to us yesterday, but God, we are here. And so we do not take each other for granted, and we do not take your presence for granted. And God, we showed up today so that you could share something new with us, something fresh with us, so that we can take it into the fights that we are in, into the fights that we have not yet begun yet, so that others can also know you just by how we lead ourselves through the fight. And so, God, we dedicate this time to you. We thank you so much for being a God who fights on our behalf. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Judges chapter 9. You can go ahead and start flipping there. I really encourage you on your free time, um, read Judges. Like, Judges for me now, I didn't like Judges when we first started this series, but now Judges is like my Game of Thrones, right? It is a juicy, crazy depiction of what humanity really is and we're going to see that in the character that we find today and his name is Abimelech and last week we learned about a judge named Gideon Abimelech is Gideon's son okay the week before that we heard about a judge named Samson two really quick things about Samson and Gideon Samson and Gideon were called by God to lead the Israelites nowhere can we find in chapter nine that Abimelech has actually been called to do anything Abimelech appoints himself and elevates himself. And he's he's seen doing a number of things that we can learn what not to do from. And so, the time that Abimelech is here, this is after Gideon has died. And Gideon has 70 other sons that we are going to encounter very briefly in this chapter. And so, it's a really big, blended family. And Abimelech goes to this city called Shechem, where his kinfolk is. And he says to his kinfolk, hey, can you just talk to all the citizens of Shechem and ask them this one question? Can you just ask them, would they like to be ruled by 70, talking about his 70 brothers, or would they rather just be ruled by one? Something Abimelech is using to his advantage right now is a frustration that I think you and I can all relate to. Have you ever had two bosses before, and you go to one, and they give you an answer and a direction, and then you go to the other, and they give you a different answer and direction? It's really frustrating because we're stuck in the, in the tension of it, right? How about two parents that are not on the same page, right? That was me. I had a parent that would let me do anything I wanted to do, and then the other parent wouldn't let me do 95% of the things the other parent would let me do. And that's frustrating because we are stuck in the tension of trying to figure out how do we lead ourselves through this conflict and fight that we have with two completely polarizing directions. This is what Abimelech is playing on. He's like, do you want to have 70 bosses or do you want to have one? And so Abimelech's kinfolk convince the citizens of Shechem to say, yeah, We want one. And it started a conflict that was bloody, chaotic, tons of destruction. And so the first question, when you and I are in a fight, here's how we can kind of figure out how we are going to lead ourselves well. And the first question is, what part Do I play in the conflict? And the connected question is, am I part of the problem in your message notes or part of the peaceful solution? Abimelech was not only part of the problem. Abimelech was the problem starter. And I know that you and I have probably been part of our fair share of being part of the problem, but we are here today to figure out how can we be like Jesus and be part of the peaceful solution. And I'm gonna take us back in time just a little bit. Judy Madden, Pastor Judy Madden uh, preached a message on 4th of July weekend where she laid out six steps to resolving conflict. And you've got those on the back of your message notes, either on your app or in person, not gonna read them for you, but they are very usable. And here's one more thing that I wanna teach you guys that can help us lead ourselves better even if we are in the middle of a fight, and even if we have already lost our cool. And it is called the physiological sigh. And the physiological sigh is something that recognizes the fact that when you and I get mad, frustrated, or experiencing high-pressure moments, the logical part of our brain goes offline. And it takes minutes to get it back online. And the physiological sigh can actually help us get back online so we're going to practice this together it's going to be so much fun it is two quick breaths in the nose and one long exhale through the mouth we're going to do that two times together one more time I know you're like, I did not show up today to watch somebody breathe on stage. (laughs) But listen, you and I have a hard time when we lose our cool to get our minds and get our emotions calmed back down. And a good leader knows that. But what we can do is we can calm our bodies down because our bodies have a physiological response to conflict and fights. And if you and I can manage our bodies and get our bodies to calm back down, you and I have a chance at leading ourselves even after we have lost our cool. Am I part of the problem or part of the peaceful solution? There's lots of great ways to be part of the peaceful solution. And the best way is to be a student of Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate conflict starter and a master at conflict resolution. But here's something that we see in contrast to Jesus. is Abimelech, as soon as he comes out the gate, man, he has 70 threats to what he sees for himself. Have you ever worked with someone or maybe a sibling or any social arena where someone just seemed to kind of threat your position in that moment? Man, you and I can do some really counterproductive things when we feel threatened. And so the next question that we can really filter our fights through is how do I see the person I have a conflict with? And there's two options here. The first option is going to set you up to lose your cool every single time. And that is, I see the person I have a conflict with as my enemy. Man, Abimelech elevated himself to the highest authority. And when you and I elevate ourselves to the highest authority, there is absolutely no way we are going to accidentally start treating people as if they matter. The second option of how we can start seeing people and it helps us be cool just a little bit more even when people are vastly different from us is that I see people I disagree with as my equal. We never see Abimelech doing this. Anytime you and I take a stance on name the topic, it draws an enemy line. And the chances of us treating other people like an equal when we have drawn an enemy line is really low. It does not happen on accident. You and I have to work really hard to see other people as an equal. We have to be intentional about seeing other people as an equal when they look different than us love differently than us, vote differently than us, believe differently than us, react, respond differently than us. We have to work to see people as an equal. How do you see people you are in a conflict with? The next time you're in a conversation that is difficult and you feel your your blood pressure rising and you feel yourself shutting down, ask that question. How do you see people you have a conflict with? We're still really in verse 2. There's so much that we can really unpack in Abimelech's story, but we're still camping out in verse 2, where it says, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have 70 rule over you or one? In this last piece of verse 2, Abimelech says something that points to a strategy that I'm afraid we all may use sometimes. At the end of verse 2, he says, remember, I am your flesh and blood. Abimelech has a very clear strategy here. He is using his position in his family to influence the conflict. And so a page that we can take from his book on what not to do in your message notes: do not abuse my position to influence the conflict, especially if you have authority. So many times. If someone has authority or we see them as having authority, it directly impacts the answer that we are going to give. Do not abuse our position. And listen, everyone has a position of authority. Everyone in this room is a leader. You can lead even when you are not in charge. We've all experienced someone having a little bit more authority than us in a conversation, right? Our parents, Pastors, teachers, doctors, nurses. If you were in the scope and vision of any person, you were seen as someone as a leader. And how you lead yourself will either have the opportunity to influence and introduce someone to Jesus, or it'll have the chance for them to experience your own broken humanity just like we're experienced with Abimelech. What strategy do I use when I navigate conflict? And here's something that we do not see Abimelech doing. And this is probably my least favorite thing to do in conflict. So in your message notes, we do not see Abimelech doing this. And that is, own my mistakes in conflicts. It's the worst. Humble pie does not taste good. It's awful, but listen, when you and I own our mistakes, we have the opportunity for other people to experience Jesus through us. Own our mistakes when it's evident what we did wrong. Own our mistakes when it is very subtle. Own our mistakes even when we are not always the one that's wrong. We have to own them. And when we do that, we are building a bridge, not burning one. If we are really looking to be a master at resolving conflict like Jesus, we got to own some things that maybe aren't even ours to own. And listen, being in the Word, like we've talked about this all series long, being in the Word does not make it foolproof, right? Just because we do all the right things all the time does not make us exempt from doing the wrong things sometimes. But here's the thing, you and I can fortify our response and we wanna be right so much that we lose every opportunity to win and to glorify God even in a fight, own it. And it's not easy, right? But if you and I really want to find a resolution with another person, we've gotta figure out how to own our mistakes. About a week ago, I was on the phone with a a young adult who had called because his company had made two, two mistakes. It was a really confusing conversation because he called to apologize, but he popped off to me twice. And I don't know if you can sense this, but I don't respond well to people popping off at me. And so I returned the attitude and the sassiness and the conversation ended in an escalated vocal tone. Our blood pressure was high and he shut down and apologized just to get me off the phone. And even though I had started my day in the word, this is, this is how I tried to justify my bad behavior. Verses like uh, Proverbs 16, 18, coming up, pride goes before the fall, shine. I was like, shh, no, 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 God, listen. I'm the customer. I was right. A haughty spirit before a fall, shh, no, it's okay, God. No, 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 no. I justified my behavior because he was wrong. And I was right. But then John 13, 34 and 35 smacked me in the face. And the verse says this right here. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ugh. I had to call a stranger and apologize because there was no way he was going to know that I was a struggling disciple of Jesus, and there was definitely no way he was going to know that Jesus might love him through how I just treated him. It took me two phone calls to get back to this person. We were finally connected and I was able to apologize. And then I got something that I didn't deserve. He started telling me about what was happening in him, how he was feeling, he shared part of his story. And I'm telling you, as much as I didn't like to eat crow and say that I was wrong, what happened after that was immeasurably more amazing than I could have ever asked or imagined, especially just being right. I got a chance to hear his story. See, so many times, owning our mistakes, man, it's not fun. But if you and I can figure out how to do that, there is an opportunity for people not just to experience Jesus through us, but for us to be able to experience Jesus in that moment, even in a conflict. Own my mistakes. We uh, we never, ever see Abimelech doing this. And in fact, Abimelech has a very, very clear strategy. He wants power. You don't like that word power? Fine. We just want to be right. None of us like to say I'm sorry. None of us like to say we're wrong. But when we fight to be right, we're really just trying to fight to have a little bit of power over the person that we see is wrong. So I think the most important question, which is next, is when you're in a fight, in a conflict, in an argument, what am I fighting for? What do you want the outcome of that fight to be? And what are you hoping to gain at the end of the fight? Like, I think the outcome tells us so much. But we're trying to figure out how to lead ourselves in the middle of the conflict. What am I really fighting for? Because so many times you and I can just get stuck. We're fighting for attention. We're fighting for a promotion. We're fighting for recognition. We're fighting for favor in our parents' eyes, favor in our child's eyes. We have a lot of things that we fight for, but whatever we fight for is going to influence how we fight. Jesus fought for us. Jesus would do it time and time again, but when you and I enter a fight, what are we fighting for? Abimelech wants power. We have an intermission in verses 7 through 15, and I wish we had time to really dig in, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you. But in verses 7 through 15, after Abimelech annihilated all of his 70 brothers, there was actually one that got away. And 7 through 15 is this brother's, his name is Jotham, it's his intermission. And what Jotham does is he's trying to introduce a different kind of way of fighting than what Abimelech is actually presenting to everyone. So Jotham goes... In this section, he goes to everyone that Abimelech has persuaded to get on board with his diabolical plan to get rid of 70 brothers. And he starts talking about an olive tree and a fig tree and a vine. And every time he references that, he's introducing a very different style of leadership than what they are experienced from Abimelech. Jotham is trying to introduce to them a way to lead themselves peacefully and not have power at the center of what they're aiming for. So in your message notes, when we're thinking about what am I fighting for, we've got to ask ourselves the question, do I want power or do I want peace, right? And the outcome tells the story. If we really want power, we're just going to create another power struggle. If we really want to be right, we're going to create division. And us versus them, where only one winner can exist. And in Abimelech's story, there's a lot of losers and one winner. Do we really want power or do we really want peace and peace is something that we can gain collaboratively with another person if we are fighting for power it is a one man show just like we see with the what are we fighting for sometimes the outcome of our fights is just an opportunity for us to to inflate our egos to build our resume to sharpen our skills to filter the image of who we are Because sometimes we do want a little bit of power. We just want to be right. That's why we've got to ask ourselves this question what do I really want, power or peace? And the next one is very closely related. But in a fight, in an argument, in a conflict, do I want to be right or do I want a resolution? In Abimelech's story, a lot of people lose because Abimelech saw himself as the only winner. When you and I go into a fight, are we really looking for a resolution? Or are we looking to be right? If we find ourselves flying off the handle and we can't keep our cool, it's so important to define what we are actually fighting for. And listen, I get it. Sometimes we just want an enemy to fight with so that we can be right because being right gives us power. But so many times when we draw those enemy lines and we just want to be right, we are at risk of becoming everything that we are afraid of becoming. An enemy in our own lives. Do we want to be right? Or do we really want a resolution? And the last thing, when we're thinking about what am I actually fighting for? This applies to anyone that you can think of right now that makes your blood pressure go up in the bad way. If you were to write someone's name down that you have a consistent conflict with or that you have had a conflict in the past with that is not resolved, if you can write their name down and your your pulse gets a little elevated, this next point is for us. When we are in conflict with someone or in a fight with someone, if we really want a resolution, we have to fight to see their humanity. Abimelech did not do this. Very quickly, Abimelech categorized everyone but himself as the enemy. But so much can change for you and I in a fight when we stop categorizing people and start listening to people's stories. When we stop just focusing on their category, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, COVID vaccine, no COVID vaccine, mask, no mask, gay, straight, when you and I can figure out how to make a shift of stopping to look at someone's story instead of their category, everything can change in a fight. And you and I can figure out how to have a resolution with someone even when they believe vastly different than us. It's not easy to fight to see someone's humanity, right? It's just not. But through the personification of peace through Jesus, you and I can figure out how to do it. Because Jesus was the master at fighting for our humanity, even as messy and broken as we are. Fight. The last question really speaks to our stubbornness. And I'm sure we have no stubborn people in here. But the last question for us to really figure out how are we gonna lead ourselves better in the fight that God calls us into is why is it hard to change our focus from fighting for power to fighting for peace? After Abimelech's, after Jotham's very brief intermission, Abimelech goes on to rule for three years, the shortest time anyone has ever ruled. Um, And he has this signature move that any city he went to, anybody he fought with, He would get people in a tower and he would burn it. And so when I think about why is it so hard for us to make this shift from fighting for power to fighting for peace, I think we can see that in Abimelech. We're going to be in verses 53 and 54. So Abimelech is about to do his signature move. He's about to set a tower on fire. And in verse 53, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head. And we think it is lights out for Abimelech. But it's not. When Homie realizes it was a woman that dropped the rock on his head, he called to his armor bearer and he said, Hey, I need you to kill me so no one can say that I was killed by a woman. Come on. So many times you and I are so concerned about how we look that we forfeit the opportunity to learn from the fight that we are in. Abimelech had a lot of lessons he could have learned, but all he was afraid of was being seen as someone who was killed by a woman. So in your message notes, that's what it is. In a fight, sometimes I am more concerned with how I look at the expense of what I can learn. If all we want is to be seen as the strongest, the bravest, the smartest, the best, we are probably missing every opportunity to ever be any of those things because that's our focus. If all we want is to be right and to be a winner, we are probably going to lose in all of the ways that matter. What are we concerned with when we're in a fight? How we look or what we can learn? And listen, hi, my name is Abimelech. My biggest fear is that someone will see me as a pushover and a conflict. And every time I dig my heels in, to try to make sure no one sees me as a pushover? I miss every opportunity to grow in strength that God is giving me. Are you concerned with how you look or what you can learn? And the last thing is this. Abimelech's story is really interesting because it doesn't interact, his story doesn't interact with God in the same way that Gideon's story and that Samson's story interacted with God. Abimelech was very him-focused, centered on himself, All he saw was himself, like textbook narcissism, right? But man, we've all got a touch of narcissism in us. Because you and I often operate out of our own limited human capacity instead of operating out of God's capacity to do something amazing. And so from Abimelech's story and how he doesn't mention God or work with God or follow God or seek God's guidance... The last message note is this, that sometimes I am operated from my limited capacity to be cool instead of God's capacity to bring peace. You wanna know how God brought peace? He sent Jesus. Even if we don't believe in God or Jesus, you and I have access to the ability to be a peace-giving presence in the middle of conflict through his living word, which is acting and doing new things and making all things new in all situations and all relationships so that you and I can lead ourselves well and the fights that we have Has anybody here been operating out of their limited capacity to lead themselves well? Fighting is something that is not going away. We can wish it away, we can pray it away, but as long as we live in a broken, fallen world, stocked full of people with free will like you and me, we're always going to have an opportunity to fight my encouragement to you is for us to all figure out how to fight like Jesus. Jesus fought for us. He hung in the most humiliating scenario that we could ever imagine on a cross. He could have called upon thousands, upon thousands of angels to intervene so that he can win, but he chose to lose. So you and I can figure out just maybe how to win in this life that we've been given. Let's not waste it on just fighting to be right. Let's get it wrong, but let's figure out how to fight like Jesus so that other people can experience transformation. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end the same way that we have been ending Because in conflicts, you may be in one now, you may be walking out into a fight, you may have a difficult conversation to have this week, so here's what we're gonna do. We are going to practice creating peace in us so that we can be a peace-giving presence in any fight that God is going to call us into or that God has already called us to today. And some homework for you is we have a peaceful image for you that we are gonna put on the screen. But if you haven't already found a picture or a moment that gives you peace, please do that this week. Because each of us have the power to lead ourselves. Even when we lose our cool, we have the power to lead ourselves to be cool. And so I just want you to get centered, find something up here that gives you peace. We are going to read and pray through a verse that is great to filter our thoughts through, great to filter the words that come out of our mouth and our behaviors so that you and I can be cool, even in a fight. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three is what we're gonna read and pray through. Just find something that helps you still your mind and your heart. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. God, I just thank you, even for the fights that you are calling us into, that you have something new to do in our relationships and in us personally. And so, God, we know that it is just easier to fall in step and be the one that is rapid-firing back words out of our emotion. But, God, I just pray that you help us Help us tame whatever is in us that doesn't allow us to be cool, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. God, we know that when there is conflict and arguments and fights in our life, God, we just dwell in that moment of negativity that stirs up something in us that is not good. And so God, even in the middle of a fight, I pray that you help us all Start to meditate on your law day and night so that it is not the conflict or the problem that defines us, but it is your law and it is your love. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God, we know that when you call us into certain fights, it chips away at who we are and we feel like we are withering under pressure when the heat is up. And God, I just pray that even if we have fights to fight today or this week, that you renew us and you restore us. You help us find sanctuary in your presence so that we can be like people planted by streams of water instead of people planted in thoughts of chaos. We love you. We dedicate our fights to you. We dedicate our thoughts to you so that we can figure out how to lead ourselves like Jesus leads. Amen.